0: Log Talk Radio.
1: This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure
0: begins.
1: Check out their website at GamersInLehigh.com.
2: You've all been waiting for. That's right. It's the moment you've been waiting for. It's We've Thursday night. Yes. And well, as some of you can tell, we're not in the normal DCR studios. We're actually live uh, out of a charity event, uh, sponsoring autism uh this evening. But uh more excitedly, we're here. And Jessica is on the line as well, correct? Alright, awesome. so unfortunately, Scotty is not with us. Uh he's got a migraine. He ran into some weird beam. Um, (laughs) That will do it every time. It does it every time. You know. If only he spoke in kind of a Scottish accent. That'd be cool, huh? Captain, I can't be doing it or something like that. We we need to really convince him to (gasps) do that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We have our own Scotty. We do. We could totally play on that. Uh, He needs to beam us up. Yeah, that would be uh, so great. So, uh. Sorry. uh, So, this weird thing. I'm just going to bring this up right now. So again, we're at this event and they're doing this raffle and they have a DJ. So if you can hear music in the background, the DJ's playing music. But because we have microphones in front of us, everyone comes up to turn in their raffle tickets to us because they're told to go drop the raffle tickets off to the DJs. So, I totally should take them. We could I, more I know prizes. we should have totally could have rigged, rigged stuff. Yeah. We're awesome. We got we got the banner here. We've got the the soundboard we got everything so uh in fact uh our guest is calling in so uh awesome. we can start this interview after i take a drink of water uh all right liquid refreshments all right here we go are you there it's me all right well welcome to the show uh vox uh thanks for uh taking time out of your day i know
1: good morning to you too it, it,
2: it's <laughs> it's it's really late or very early uh, because oh, you're eight it. hours ahead of us.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, pretty late here, but that's all right. I'm a bit of a
2: night owl. Nice. Now, uh, you, I apologize. The name just blitzed me of the, the game company you're with.
3: I'm the lead designer at Alpenwolf.
2: Alpenwolf. I, I remembered Wolf, but I couldn't remember the first part. I, I'm so par- sorry. Uh, so... With being the lead designer, I know you have a new game coming out uh, for Kickstarter, and now are we, we free to talk about that, or do you want to talk about the other games that you've designed?
3: Well, we can talk about the the Kickstarter to be sure. We're we're not sure when we're going to actually launch the Kickstarter now, just because we've been involved with some other uh, projects that that are taking priority at the moment. But we're we're pretty excited about uh, about what uh, we're going to be doing. Because, uh, you know, for a long time, for about eight years, I've wanted to create a way to properly play miniatures in the computer space in much the same way that you can use Vassal to play, you know, board and counter war games.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Savart here is, uh, you know, so is this going to be on, uh, like, iPad or is it strictly PC?
3: Well, it's it, we're we're using Unity, so it'll be running on anything that's got the necessary horsepower to you know, to handle the the 3D graphics that are required. Okay. Uh, so okay. the I, the idea is to make it very broadly accessible and uh, to make it fully cross-platform, so that you know if if I've got if I'm on Android and you know you're on an an iPad or something, that we can still play each other. Perfect. Nice.
2: Now I know I know Savart, so you're kind of a, a gamer guy. Uh, with computer and uh, mobile games as well. Sure. So it, is this a game that you would play? I mean, or, you know, do you have questions for them?
1: Well, I think it's something that definitely sounds interesting. I just, I hope I have the power to actually run it. I might need to upgrade my, my tablet there. But.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> now,
3: well, the, what's well, interesting about it is it's really more of a system rather than a game okay. per se. Okay. So what what we've... What we've done is uh we've got relationships with a number of different companies like Mantic Games. They produce the Kings of War and Dreadball um and uh, uh and Dead Zone miniatures games. Um we've also got a relationship with uh, Mark Miller, uh you know, the guy uh, the the, the well known designer of Traveler and some other companies. And so what we're planning to do is to bring each of these systems to the system or, you know, bring each of these games into the system, so that you know, people who like to play um, play Kings of War, or who want to play our own you know, Gladiator game, First Sword, um, you're going to be able to play all these different games within the same system, and they're all going to be uh, built on the on the freemium model that we're used to seeing on mobile. So at, you're going to be able to play all this stuff for free.
1: Oh, wonderful! Nice. So, like. When you sit down with a mobile game, at least me personally, it's one of those things that I, you know, if I'm at home, I'm usually playing my PC or my console. When I'm out and about doing stuff, you know, I pull it up while my wife's out shopping, and I jump on to play something for 10, 15 minutes and try to accomplish something in that amount of time. Is this something that's going to be doable with your game, or is it more of a time-devoted game?
3: Well, it depends which game you're talking about. You know, right now, um, I'm actually the lead on six different games and a uh, designer, not producer. Um, I'm only producing one of them. And, you know, the, what you're talking about is something that we're planning to get into with one of our other games. You know, I think that the ultimate game for that sort of short burst of attention when you're on the go is Top Eleven from Nordeus. Okay. You know, they, they they did a wonderful job of creating a uh, a, a game that you can... Dive into for about 10 minutes a day, and that's really all you need to do in order to have an, a good ongoing game experience that lasts for months. And so, you know, what we're doing to address that sort of opportunity is our game, First Sword, which is a, a gladiator management game. So you've got your stable of gladiators, and it's a fantasy game set in my in my Selenoth universe um, of, of epic fantasy books, and. You know, so maybe you've got a gladiator full of orcs, and then uh, each day you've got two different matches that that you can watch if you want to, but you don't have to. And then afterwards, you know, sometimes you lose a gladiator uh, in the match, sometimes he gets injured, wounded, whatever, and so then you've got to deal with uh, making sure that your guys bandage and heal up. You can uh, you can bid on the slave market to to buy new gladiators, and um, you know it's it's a it's a exactly that type of gameplay that you see in top eleven where you know, you're only playing for maybe five to ten minutes a day,
1: but you play it for a long time. So there's a lot of different so when you say there's a market, you're just the slave market, the just gladiators are there different levels I'm gonna be able to invest in. Or when I go buy a, a gladiator from that slave market, is it just gonna be though? I'll start out level one with the same strength, and it's up to me to train them properly and get them up higher.
3: No, generally speaking, you will be permitted to buy uh, gladiators that are within uh, ten, uh, basically five levels below and five levels above your
1: level. Perfect. And each one's gonna have different abilities and skills that they have, or are they exactly. basically also okay? Perfect
3: so no, there, there i mean there there's even uh, there's even different uh, racial differences so for example, if you've got an elven gladiator, he's got different capabilities than a goblin gladiator, <clears throat> and then you know of course there's also special weapons and and armor that you can acquire um you know so it's, i it was I was actually talking to some of the guys from nordeus about it, and they were they were laughing because um they were saying that the the advantage that that we had that first sword had over top 11 is that um in top 11 you can't kill off actually kill off the players in order to encourage the players to get new
2: ones huh wow i is that, i really like you know i've always enjoyed gladiator uh in the past and so uh being able to play a game of that magnitude actually sounds really fun Especially where you get to train them and go through that that whole process of being like a loot, uh, you know, having your own, uh, ludus and and training them. That's that's pretty cool. So, it's only like, ten, eleven minutes a day, and you're good.
3: Yeah, that's really all it takes. Um, you know, the, each of the matches are limited to about two and a half minutes. So, um, you know, they're, they're actually pretty exciting to watch. Um, the it, it's not a graphic oriented game it's it's basically a, a what we call a commentary engine game and so the various matches that you watch you're you're essentially getting the equivalent of a radio broadcast you know so it'll be telling you you know so and so slashes at at so and so um and severs his hamstring or or well, you know or or um you know so and so throws his uh, spear at whoever and and misses um, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound particularly exciting, but uh, there's a reason why 17 million people play Top Eleven. It it actually works very very well. It's very effective.
1: So, so do you have a preference, your personal preference on a racial barbarian we should go with to start out with? What's one going to help me be get into the fight the fastest and the, actually do some good for my myself?
3: Well, in the system that we've got constructed, the for just pure, straight up, strong, fast fighters, orcs are usually the best. Okay. But you know, each different each different fantasy race has different strengths, and so you know, the, the dwarves tend to be a little bit stronger, um, and they tend you know, the, the weapons that they use tend to do a little bit more damage. Um, you know, you're not going to you're not going to put a a troll up against a goblin because the goblin's gonna get smashed within twenty seconds. Um, yeah, so the the whole you know like all good like all good management games, it's all about balance.
4: Hmm.
2: Okay. Now what when is this game gonna be available or is it already available?
3: That's a good question. Um <laughs> it it would have been available in you know probably 2 to 3 months but uh we are working with uh a very large game site that um is interested in in one of the the innovations that we've introduced and so uh we may actually be introducing our our retail store engine before we introduce our first game that was going to contain that engine uh what what I mean by that is uh a couple of years ago, I was visiting uh, another game company, and of course, I was playing their game on my tablet just to prepare for the the meeting with them. And then I got bored on the plane, and so I, I switched over and was reading a book, an ebook. And it occurred to me that it was very strange that uh, I couldn't buy an ebook. In the game store, you know, I, I, it occurred to me like, well, why can't I buy something like this inside the game? Why can I only buy virtual goods? Why can't I buy real digital goods? And so, we created a system that allows the players to uh, to buy the books that we publish um, inside the game for the game currency. Holly Anderson, Very cool. Yeah. So, so of course. When um, I, we were talking to this this other company, just a, a guy happened to be a friend of mine. He called me up and said, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. What do you think? And I said, well, you know, have you ever thought about doing something, you know, more like this with real digital goods? And they said, um, no, uh, is that really possible? And we said, well, you know, we've already got it working here in our game. Have a look. And so, uh, you know, they thought they thought that that was very interesting and said, "Well, can we have that for all our games?" And you know, we said, "Well, sure. If <laughs> you know, it, we can we can set it up for that." So, um, so that's you know, that's sort of taken priority over uh, just getting a, a single game out the door right away. Nice. So, I, I think that within three years, you're going to see most games having some form of this. Uh, somewhere, you know, why should uh, why should Microsoft go to a publishing company, go through a publishing company to sell their eBooks to their their players when they can just deliver them directly to their players um, you know, through the Xbox or through the through the Windows Phone or or anything like that? I, I think it's there's a whole new um, there's a whole new market that's going to open up. And, you know, and it's not just books. I mean, books are kind of like with Amazon. It's an easy way to start. But, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're working with a miniatures company like Mantic, you know, you're going to be able to buy your favorite uh, figures and 3D print them.
2: No, I mean, I agree. Because, I mean, like with Xbox or even Nintendo and and PlayStation, you have that virtual console systems now where you can just, down you know purchase the game download it and you can go play your you know old favorite nintendo or games or xbox games or anything like that so uh um, right, but
3: why but why why limit it to the games itself why yeah you know we've got so many other interesting digital goods out there it seems to make sense to uh open it up to all of those things as well
2: yeah jessica do you have any questions jess are you there can you uh, hear me? We can hear you. All right, there you are. Okay. Yay! <laughs> Did you have any questions, uh, for Vox at this point? Or not yet?
4: Not yet. Let's do it. All right. Let's
2: <laughs> Great. So um, you know, besides this, I mean what other I mean, what got you into uh, you know, game design? I mean, what was the initial draw that made you decide, hey, I want to be a game designer? Well, I started out pretty young
3: and pretty early with games. Um, you know, we had a—I uh, remember in uh, the Boy Scout troop, somebody brought an Apple II and uh, to a some sort of you know slumber party thing or whatever. And I remember playing a Calabeth basically nonstop. You know, every chance I got. There at, at Radio Shack. Um, they had a an Apple II, and you could you could bring your own disks and and put them in there and play it and somehow i managed to acquire a copy of a Calabeth and which you know was the precursor to the, the ultimate line and you know, every time my parents would be going to the mall or something i'd i'd beg them to to take me and and play that and so you know over over time uh you know i, I had an television um but I was really more into the Apple II sort of thing. And then, when I was in college, two friends of mine and I decided that we, you know, we really liked playing games, and we decided that we could, you know, why not try to make, uh, try to make our own game? And so, the first game that we came up with was basically kind of a spin on on Warlords, the the Steve Faulkner game that was, I think, the 1990 game of the year or something. Do you remember that one? I
1: do not recall a, a, it. No,
3: nah, I don't remember. Okay. Well, have you if you've heard of a game called Puzzle Quest? Puzzle Quest is yeah. actually set yeah. in this in the se- it's actually set in the same fantasy world of Warlords. You know, when you, when you fight against Lord Bane and that sort of thing. Um okay. that was all uh, that was all taken from Warlords and Warlords 2. And so um and Faulkner's a great designer. He's the I think he's one of the only two-time game of the year uh designers and um anyhow uh you know he he created this really great very simple fantasy strategy game and we really liked it and we wanted to sort of take it further so we were working on that but then uh right around that time Castle Wolfenstein came out and because my friend and I were already working at uh, a 3D graphics company we realized that we could take the that the whole concept of, of uh, the 2.5D texture mapping, and that we could speed it all up and do it at higher resolution on the graphics cards that the company we work for made. And at around that time, we got a call from uh, a guy working up at EA Canada. Um, he was working on Hardball, and uh, his name's Chris Taylor. <laughs> so, you know, Chris Taylor from Total Annihilation and Dungeon Siege. Yeah, yeah. And so, anyhow, so, so, Obviously, Chris and I go way back, uh, and he was saying, "Well, you know, it's cool that you want to do that and all, but why don't you why don't you do it properly 3D? You know, forget this two and a half D stuff. Go 3D." And so, uh, we ended up working out a deal with Creative Labs where we would where we would do a, a sort of technology demo, high resolution, you know, more colors and all that sort of thing. And so that's how we ended up actually getting our first game out the door, which was Rebel Moon, uh, a two and a half D a uh, 3D accelerated uh, game that was bundled with the original Creative Labs 3D Blaster.
1: Oh. So the the amount of when you switch over from a 2D to a 3D is it almost like okay, let's scrap this and start all over. Or is it a way to progress it from that into that 3D model?
3: Well, to a certain extent. I mean the the real issue was that uh, we. Saw the opportunity to get the game uh, both funded and distributed uh, through creative rather than you know, trying to fight it out in the retail space. And, and you know, that's something that we've always focused on. In fact, at one point, uh, Computer Gaming World called us the most profitable game developer you've never heard of because instead of worrying about putting our stuff out you know, in the stores... Um, and, and being concerned with that sort of thing, we were always focused on figuring out how we could work with the, you know, work on the cutting edge of technology, and get our stuff out there with, you know, you know, you know through the mechanism of working with partners like Creative Labs and Intel. Hmm. Yeah, you know, to a certain extent, that's that's still how we're working. We're just doing it in a different space now. You know, we're doing. We work with mobile partners, we work with um you know, with, with these larger gaming partners, um, so that we don't have to waste our time uh, you know, on marketing and and things like that we're really not interested in doing. All we really wanna do is focus on the game development. That's yeah, that's
4: well, a really good decision. I mean, you have <laughs> it's gonna be it's gotta be a huge relief to just be able to have you know, the creativity and not have to worry about that entire side. It would be very distracting, for sure. The
3: the problem, you know, we did try to move into the regular retail space uh, back with GT Interactive and Sega, and it just wasn't a good experience because, you know, you have things like um, the the suits who have no connection to the game, who know nothing about the game, popping in and saying, yeah, you know, that's fine, but I think you should change the camera angle, uh, you know, and, and well, there's nothing
4: trying to give you advice.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I understand, you know, the, when they're funding it, of course, it's, it's their call, but right. it's not, it, it doesn't, a lot of times the, the, the stuff that they would say just didn't even make sense. And in fact, many times the executive producer who, you know, was the, the person at the publisher who really did know what they were doing um. Mm-hmm. You know, they would. They would tell you, yeah, just you know, smile, nod, don't worry. We're not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not going to make you do it.
4: Right. So no. hmm. well, it sounds like you no. enjoy it a lot more now. Now that you're able to just kind of do your own thing and not have to worry about that entire aspect of it. Well,
3: yeah. yeah I mean, part of the reason that that we ended up shutting down Sunris Wolf was because. Uh, first GT Interactive and then Sega of America, both basically got shut down. Um, right. You know, Sega, Sega of America was shut down by Sega of Japan, and mm-hmm. it was really it was really a pity because we had a, a, a really ace team together with Julian Lafay from Bethesda. We had uh, the Traveler license, and we were working with Mark, um, and you know it was, a, it was a really fantastic team, and the game was coming together nicely, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're done because. Someone in Japan decides that you know what we don't really want American launch titles when Dreamcast comes out.
4: Wow, that's frustrating. We see yeah, how you know, Dreamcast it's
3: like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing is, everybody knew. Everybody knew at the time that Dreamcast was going to bomb because sure. like, there was even a there was even a, a joke newsletter going around. It was kind of made up to look like a. Uh, you know, one of the game industry um, magazines at the time, and the headline was, uh, "Sega refuses to reveal secret plans for suicide." Oh boy! <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it was, uh, you know, and, and then of course. true. It's true. <laughs> well, 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 then they come out and they launch with all these bizarre Japanese titles that nobody in the states wants to play. Yeah. You know, what? Right. What, a, what a surprise!
2: Well, and, and I know some, like, diehard fans that still say that, you know, the Dreamcast was one of the greatest game systems ever, but I, I couldn't stand it. I mean, it was weird. Yeah, it was I have weird. not met those people.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm actually well, one the, of those people. Uh, well, the, the,
2: Dreamcast, the, the Dreamcast had a lot
3: of, you know, it was called the Katana. We, I'm still not used to thinking of it as a Dreamcast because, you know, we were working on it when it was called the Katana the whole time. Okay. And That's pretty <laughs> Yeah, well, well, that was the thing, is Katana was cool. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, then, then they changed the name to Dreamcast and they shut down all the American development. And you're thinking, okay, you know, this is not going to work. But anyhow, um, you know, the Dreamcast was really interesting. It was powerful. And um, they had kind of that clever storage stuff in, in the uh, controller that
1: yeah, the you know, used- allowed
3: you to have – yeah, and and you know we were planning to use that in, in our game in in a way in ways that were probably much more effective than most of the games did that that even tried to use it. Um right. and, and so the, there there were interesting aspects to it, um, you know, that were much more interesting than the PlayStation. But at the end of mm-hmm. the day, the hardware is only as good as as the games that are produced for it. And Sony did a much better job of you know just getting a broad range of good games out there than Sega did. Yeah.
2: No. Now, do you think the Dreamcast was kind of the start of the decline of Sega? Because, I mean, honestly, at this point, the only thing they do is make yes. titles every now and then. Yep. Um, and then they, I think they were incorporated by Nintendo, if I'm correct.
1: No, they're still their own entity. Oh, they are? So uh, Nintendo picked them up to use their titles. Gotcha. So just okay.
3: yeah. Well, I think, I, I think the big problem that they had was that they they didn't take the right approach to following on the Sega Genesis. You know, they tried to do that 32X uh, plug-in to, to give it a little more horsepower and, and do, start doing some 3D. Because, you know, Basically, Sega never navigated the transition from 2D to 3D. That
1: was their fundamental problem. Yeah, they had a lot of weird steps jumping from that 32X to the Sega CD, and then all the way. Then they started getting into the Saturn, which they could finally do something. But there was that weird limbo state they had.
3: Right, and so what? What they what they should have done was they just should have, you know, not tried to do all the half steps in order to extend the viability of the Sega Genesis. They should have done what Nintendo does, and just you focus completely on the next generation and you don't worry about backwards compatibility and all that sort of thing.
1: Very true. Uh, and now they are gone, except for Sonic every once in a while.
3: <laughs> but, but the interesting thing is, that when you think about it, the interesting thing is that what Nintendo does that's so brilliant is that they just keep coming out with the same... An updated version of the same game every time. You know, there's That's Mario Kart. There's Mario Kart on the on the older Nintendo's, and there's Mario Kart on the new ones, and and they always, you know, they've they've got the advantage of of having some excellent designers, you know, that who keep coming up with ways to to make the new versions fresh. But you know, what Sega what Sega should have done is they should have just come out with, you know, the 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 ten most popular Sega Genesis titles. But updated for the Saturn or for the Dreamcast, as you know, in series as the new generations came out. But what they tried to do is they tried to come up with all new games, and they didn't really leverage all the goodwill and the branding that they had from the previous ones. I mean, Nintendo is kind of amazing when you think about it. Their main brand is still the same little guy and the same characters from that, you know, the original Jumpman and Donkey Kong.
1: Yeah. You know, and when you look at the other systems out there, they not very many have some iconic characters like Nintendo. I mean, I can't even put my finger on one with PlayStation unless you want to go to Crash Bandicoot, but that's not even theirs as well. No, so. they
2: don't even have I mean, I would say the ex- closest thing for Xbox is you know Master Chief, uh, Master Chief for Halo. But, uh, you know, you're right. And
3: People Mario's been around Mario. forever.
2: And all you need to hear is, he let's go, and everyone knows who you're talking about. You, <laughs> you know, you, know, you or, don't even or, need or to even, see
3: it, or even just, or even just the sound of the jumping or the coin. Yeah, you
2: know. Yeah. I mean,
3: and and the thing, uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, Nintendo. All companies make mistakes from time to time. Mm-hmm. You know, all game companies make missteps, but to me, it's just really amazing how uh, how Nintendo is able to breathe new life into the brand you know, every
2: three years. Yeah. Well, and and you're right. I mean, that it, it is a brilliant market strategy the way they do where, you know, we get a new Mario Kart or Mario Party or we get a new Mario game, which is pretty much the same thing but just a little bit extra added or maybe a couple of characters they've now created or anything like that. And, and everyone eats it up. I mean... I don't know anyone that doesn't love playing Mario Kart. Yeah,
0: cool. you know,
2: whether it's on your your DS or on your Wii or the Wii U or whatever system you have. I mean, it's been around since uh, Super Nintendo, if I remember right, sure. uh, and yep. and it's been through every console uh, re- creation just that, that they have yeah. since that point. So and, and it, yet, it's really marketing and, sh-
3: and yet, the game is. Fundamentally different and better, you know. I mean, I mean, the experience of playing Mario Kart on the Wii is very, very different than the experience of playing it on the on the Super Nintendo or even the N64. Yeah. And, no, I agree. You know, we, I mean, we have this, um, have it hooked up with a projector, you know, with a, a a three meter by five meter screen, so it's you know life size, and you know, it's just it's it's one of the best uh, gaming experiences. That I've ever had in whatever it is, you know, nearly 40 years of playing games. You know, and and for for that to be true of you know the fourth game or fifth or whatever it is in the Mm -hmm. series of that game, you know, that's just astonishing. Especially if you compare it to something like Madden's, where they've just essentially taken all the fun out of the you know what was once a a series that you used to anticipate the yearly releases for yeah
2: no well and, and another thing i have to say for nintendo is they've got great replay value um you know that's one thing that i've always noticed with their with their games is no matter what those are the games i always come back to and sit with you know if i want to play a video game for like five ten minutes mario kart comes out or mario party you know i i don't have the time to sit there and invest to play you know Batman Arkham Origins or anything like that. You know, once I've do- finished it, it's I, I don't really go back to it. Uh but oh, yeah, I
3: I have got uh, I've got Mame, I've got Donkey Kong on MAME on my tablet. Yeah. You know, it's it, it I still like to play it. Um you know, th- I mean, that's the true mark of a really good game is that you know, 20 years later, uh you're still very happy to play it if you've got 10 minutes to kill. You know, my yeah. Um you know, I I've got I think uh I think I've got Swashbuckler and Aztec on an Apple emulator on my phone. Hmm. You know, they're good, they're good games. You you know, they're they're fun and um you know, frankly they're you know, even though they're 30 years old, they're better in some ways than than uh, some of the than a lot of the brand new stuff that comes out.
2: Yeah. Now, because we had, you know, we're the mobile phones, the tablets and that, are we going to maybe see where there's going to be some other interactivities between our mobile devices and video games? I mean, I, I know, like with the Wii U, they have a separate controller or tablet thing where you can be, you know, like on certain games you can be the villain and you're going after the good guys. I, uh, would we maybe, maybe we see something come up with that, whether it's with mobile games or maybe console games?
3: Well, there's a lot of interesting possibilities that way. I mean, for example, um, you know, I designed this 18-button gaming mouse um, a couple of years ago, Um it still it still works great. I mean, in fact, I'm I'm using it now. It has a joystick on the thumb, and uh, we we didn't keep producing it just because the um, the design was a little bit too fragile, and so uh, you know it's gonna it was gonna cost more than it was worth to to redo the design and stabilize it but uh, we took the software that you know we needed some fairly complicated software in order to make you know a, a mouse with you know 18 buttons and a joystick work properly and uh the the lead technical guy actually converted the software he would created for the mouse and it now runs on your phone and so you can you can use your your mouse or you can use your smartphone as uh, an effective 18 button mouse to control your computer. And of course that, you know, if you wanted to, you know, we could, uh, we could use that to control the game as well. Now, I don't know, uh, you know, we haven't come up with a design to use that yet, but that would allow you, you know, we've already got the technology in place to do some of the kind of thing that you're talking about.
2: Hmm. I, I, I see a lot of potential, um, in gaming, I mean, just, you know, it's one thing. Just going from the old 8-bit characters we, we've all been used to to what you can see now, where, I mean, you almost see beautiful cinematic CG movies on your games. Um, but sometimes, you know, simpler is better. I mean, you know, I picked up a an old... Uh, game on my tablet it's called Final Fantasy uh, Record Keeper it's all 8-bit characters i love it it's you know it's really fun it's simple it's easy but you know i well, the games i really enjoy is when there's games where i'm doing stuff and i'm playing against like my buddies you know i can make my moves and then i have i wait until my buddies make their moves and i mean that would be lots of fun but i don't see a lot of like games on tablets that way I mean, maybe I'm wrong. No, Savart so has I, more. I,
1: I well, there, find a
2: lot, go ahead. I was
1: just mentioned that. Yeah, I know what you're looking for. I just don't find it very often. Yeah.
0: And
1: then to actually take the time to have your friends to convince them to try it. Yeah. It could be a challenge too, but there's not a lot out there too. From yeah, okay. it's
4: mostly quiz games, and I mean, I mean, I guess you can do that with Minecraft. Speaking of simpler games, um, visually that is. Completely taken over, but I mean, there's as far as I could tell, there's not really a lot of games like that either. You can play with people, but not really against people. Well,
3: one of the one of the things that I've wanted to do for a long time, and I I I had a, a I met uh, up again with uh, Richard Garrett, uh, who you know the Ultima designer. Um, we ran into each other in at an event in Brighton a few years ago, and we were talking about how. The whole focus on graphics was really kind of a dead end for games, and it was a little bit ironic because obviously, because of my involvement in you know, pushing 3 d early on, you know we were very in, we were partly responsible for the the push into the the higher resolution and better graphics but i mean it was inevitable don 't get me wrong i 'm not taking credit i 'm just saying we were you know among the among the early ones there, but the problem is that better graphics. Um, past a certain point that is much less sophisticated that we're at than we're at now uh, doesn't actually improve gameplay at all, and in fact, I think it tends to hurt it. Because you, know, you talked about how the, the game looks like a movie and it's very cinematic and all that. Well, movies are an, a fundamentally passive experience, and the more that games resemble movies and the more that they're caught up in pre-scripted narrative the less gameplay there actually is. And so, in, to me, I think that we need to move back towards more of a focus on actual gameplay. Um, and, and as far as the multiplayer experience goes, you know, I've done a fair amount of work in the, the MMO space, and you know, people are not really... Most people are not really very good uh, play partners. You know, most people fundamentally play single-player games, even if they're in a multiplayer environment. And so I think that in order to get the kind of experience that people want to have, ironically, we're going to need to give it to them through artificial intelligence, not simply through access to other human players.
4: That's true. Humans are too emotional, and half the time when I'm playing someone online, they quit right in the middle of something.
3: Oh, exactly. I
4: Extremely
3: frustrating. Well, I actually wrote a white paper for uh, one of the the main um, AI middleware producers a few years ago, and we found out that something like, you know, eighty percent of parties in MMOs either didn't ever get formed, um, had somebody quit in such a way that rendered the objective impossible. I mean. Right yeah yeah you know, basically the the multiplayer it, it may sound a little strange considering how successful you know World of Warcraft and even stuff have been but fundamentally uh-huh. mul- multiplayer has been a bust yeah it's
4: it's frustrating it can be very frustrating I'm with you also when you were talking about um, just getting back to the gameplay for me. And I know this is weird because it's not like this with most people. But when I'm playing a game and the story, part of a game comes on and there's this big, huge story, it it kind of, it it upsets me a little bit. Like I get extremely um, just impatient with it. I want to get back to the game, back to the game, back to the game and it kind of gets me to a point where it's like okay I don't I can't skip this and I don't have time for this and so I'll turn it off.
3: Well yeah, so I, 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 I mean it's it, it, it's it, I think that you're exactly right. I think I feel very much the way that you do and I don't think that that's strange at all. I think that most gamers feel that way. You know, when when we like to play games, we want to be in control. We want to do mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. And and all of those um you know cut scenes or whatever how whatever they call them these days I still call them cut scenes um, <laughs> you know they they are fundamentally obstructing your ability to play the game that's basically the developer telling you you know what what Wait. i want to tell what i want to tell you is more important than you getting to play the game
4: yep i feel the same way i you know a lot of people i talk to um, huge gamers. They oh, I, this is I play this because it's got the greatest story. It's got such a good story. You know, if I want to see a good story, I'll watch a movie. I want to yeah, play I'll, a game.
3: I'll, I'll read a book. I I yeah. I think that I think that story in games is usually overrated and often misguided. I think that mm-hmm. it's um I think that it's been a real problem. In the game industry, what, because a lot of the people in the in the media uh, don't really like to play games, and uh, they'd rather talk about the story elements or you know complain about the political issues or whatever, and you know the average gamer doesn't care about any of that stuff. I mean, right. you know, if you can tell, uh, I mean, like, look, let's look at um, Doom or Castle Wolfenstein, yeah. you know. Both great, great, great games, and the stories are absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Y- you know, you know, the I, Doom I, was so, the, the the story in Doom was so, so thin that when um you know the the guy who published the pocket books um Scott Shannon was the the editor at Pocket Books who signed the Doom books and also signed one of my books, and the story was so thin that they just had to make up three quarters of it, because there just wasn't enough story to even write a book about.
4: And it's so sad, because, I mean, Doom, and well, back in Wolfenstein 3D days, I mean, these are video games I grew up with, I mean, DOS, you know, Windows 95, and games that I love, guess what, there really wasn't a story, I mean, they told you what you were doing, how you got there, what your objective Mm -hmm. was, and that was all you needed. You know? well, look at yeah.
3: look at look at Duke. How would you even tell a story like Duke Nukem? I mean, one minute he's in a strip club, the next minute it's like you know some alien thing with with a giant whale. I mean, you, you know, it would have to be some sort of bizarre acid trip dada thing to even try right. to put a narrative to it. Yeah, you know, you know yeah, adds- nobody cared. Nobody cared at all. No,
1: it seems like as like as a kid your example with club...
3: It was awesome.
1: Your example of Duke Nukem's good because, at his first stages were fun and first games that came out. But as they continued to produce them, as they got to the newer generations, they they lost popularity. They went away.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the same could be said like with Final Fantasy. I mean, Final Fantasy 13, the majority of the game itself was you know cinographic, cinematic cutscenes that told the story. And so many people have just kind of left that series. You know, my favorite ones are those older games that, you know, has a little bit of story. But most of the time you're spending, you know, playing and going through dungeon after dungeon and, you know, accomplishing things. So I think, you know, story is good, but I think too much story, which is where we've kind of gotten to, is really ruining games. Well, I'm going to have to argue this a
1: little bit, though. Just because okay. there are great games that I play that I do go for the story, like The Last of Us. You play a game like that that's designed around an amazing story that actually strikes emotion into the gamer. Not every gamer is going to play that game because they know that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But the ones that I do love it for what it is and that's for the story.
3: Okay. Well, And, and there's, not, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm not opposed to people playing that sort of thing if they want to, but the point is is that having the story does not essentially improve the gameplay in any way, shape, or form. You know it's a, it's a sep- it's a separate element, and the story has to serve the gameplay, the gameplay should not be serving the story.
1: Oh, I agree with that, too. I mean, I, I set my wife down with a great story yeah. game like The Last of Us or Enslaved. And I'm like, here, try this game. And she skips the intro movie. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, well, I want to play it. I'm like, you have yeah. no idea what you're doing right yeah. now. But, you know, gamers, not every gamer wants a story. You're right. They want the action. Especially, they want the I, game.
4: To be honest, I think women are probably the most impatient when it comes to the story. Every woman <laughs> I know just is like, okay, skip the intro. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs>
3: I'm well, so glad the, you that. that you know, but but it's po- it's possible to do both. I mean, if you think about the day of the tentacle, you know that that had a really funny story, um, and really great, you know, puzzle adventure gameplay. You know, I I still remember, um, you know, just cracking up when the the protagonist. Uh, Discovers the uh, plan, you know, evil purple tentacles plan to take over the world. You know, and he looks at the at the at the chalkboard or whatever and says, "Oh no, you know, this might work." You know, and, the, and you're sitting there thinking, you know, it doesn't tell you what it is. So of course you're sitting there thinking, what plan could be written on a blackboard that would, you know, be that short and yet uh, convince someone that this could actually work to take over the world, I and mean, that's that's quality storytelling right there. Yeah. You know, it's making you think, it's making you react to it, but it's not getting in the way of the game at all. You know, you didn't have to sit there for 10 minutes. You know, they they they, they effectively told the story in basically a, a a visual two-line joke. Yeah, I think another
0: big thing that it
4: has to do with it is that just. You know, life life is getting busier for everyone. And you just don't have the time. You just don't have the time to sit through a story anymore. You want to play. You want to get that release, get the stress out. And you just don't have time for a story. I mean, Dan was talking about doing, you know, sitting down and playing a 10-minute game fast, doing Mario Kart or or something really fast. For me, it's Mortal Kombat. I'll sit down and I'll fight for a little while, and then I'm good. I'm done. Sometimes you just want to get in there and you want to play, and you don't have a ton of time to sit, and like you said, 10 minutes in between each gameplay is an eternity. And so, I i mean, I can understand. I have sat down. I'm guilty of going on YouTube and watching stories from games all put together where there's no gameplay, and I've really enjoyed them. But at the same time, your purpose is to sit down and play, and it's very important for people to kind of you know, get that aggression that aggression that's but get that aggression out and and get the frustration out from your day. And you want to do it fast, and you don't have a lot of time. And I just feel like the story is kind of—it hurts it, you know.
3: Well, and also, you know, the story is difficult in its own regard. You know, I, I mean, I've written a few novels myself, um, and you know, we've all read good books, we've all read bad books. Well, you know, it's. It's difficult enough to tell a good story that is going to appeal to people and then when you combine that with the challenge of seamlessly integrating it into the gameplay uh you know you're adding yet another layer of difficulty and so it shouldn't be too surprising that uh you know you've got you've got the problem of a bad story you've got the problem of a poor integration you've got the problem of 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 failing to balance the story with the gameplay and then you've got people like Jessica who don't give a damn about it in the first place. you know and so it, it, it's it's problematic, and if I was making a a 3D shooter today, you know I think that I would pretty much go with an you know go with the the old id software approach of a minimal story, let the story be told through the gameplay, and not really worry about explaining it. you know and I mean, in doom. You know, they throw you in there, there's a bunch of dead bodies around, and then all of a sudden some demons pop up and start, you know, trying to attack you. Well, yeah, that's really all you need to know. You don't really need to know how bad the, the guy, how bad the corpse felt uh, and how scared he was when suddenly the demons appeared out of the hell mouth. You know, nobody cares, really. Right. At the end of the day, we want to whip out the, the chainsaw and chop our way through the demons.
0: That's true.
3: So otherwise, we'd be watching a movie about it. That's true. Yeah.
2: Yep. So where can our listeners find your games? Well,
3: there's not many of them. I mean, right now I don't have any that are particularly active. Um, the, probably my best-known, most accessible game is one called Hot Dish. Um, okay. came out years ago back on a lot of the casual Um, game sites, Big Fish and all that sort of thing. Um, But, you know, some of the the new stuff that we're going to have coming out, um, you know, one game that I'm working on that I'm I'm particularly pleased with uh, is a game called Sky Raider. And it's basically similar to Joust, except for the fact that there's a vertical element as well. So you're not just battling opponents that are, uh, you know, flying through the skies with you, but there's also various, you know, orcs and goblins coming out and setting up catapults and throwing stone rocks at you and, and you've also got some magic spells that let you, you know, throw lightning bolts and fireballs down at them
0: mm-hmm.
3: so it just, it, it's you know, I, I think Joust is a great game but no one really ever took that gameplay and did anything with it and so I thought, you know, that's that's a really fun little game, Let's let's see mm. if we can do something interesting with it
2: Yeah, no, I remember that game, it was Super funny. you ran around uh, on a bunch of ostriches and pretty much trying to knock your opponent off their bird. So. Yep.
3: <laughs> yeah, so I, I just thought that, you know, given how fun it was with, with those elements that, um, you know, gamers are a little bit more sophisticated these days in, in terms of, yeah. the, of action. And so I think that they'll be able to handle the simultaneous horizontal vertical Uh, combat elements. I mean, obviously, you're not going to throw them all in at the same time right away, but, you know, it just gives a more interesting and challenging progression to the whole thing.
2: So, uh, they can go to alpenwolf.com to kind of track things and when things become ready for your other games that you you guys are designing as well as the one that's ready to come out uh, in Kickstarter in a little while. Correct?
3: Yeah, we're, we're we're actually pretty bad about. I mean, they can actually learn quite a bit about First Sword on there. We've actually got uh, all kinds of stuff related to the game mechanics and so forth. Uh-huh. Um, we don't re- we don't have much about the other games up there yet. That's something that we have okay. to do. Um, but but th- there is a lot of information at com and then they can always, of course, go to voxpopoli.com, um which is just my personal blog. But I you know I do a fair amount of of uh, writing about that. And, and another really great place to go is castelliahouse.com, which is the publishing arm of Alpenwolf. And uh we've got seven different bloggers who often write about books and games. Um you know, Jeffro Johnson is working his way methodically through the entire D&D chapter n. Um and uh, Ken Burnside from Ad Astra writes about his his space game uh stuff. Um it's a good CastelliaHouse.com is a really good uh, resource for people interested in books and games.
2: Okay. Well, that sounds great. Uh, you know, thanks for coming on the show this evening. Uh, we're gonna let you go so you can go get some sleep or, or whatever More it is gaming. you're you're gonna be moving on to. And you know, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it, and we'd love to have you back on any other time, uh, especially when the you're ready to launch the Kickstarter. That'd be that'd be great to come back on then.
1: I'll be happy to. Thanks for having me. All right, hey, thank have you. a
2: great evening, and we'll talk to you soon.
4: Thanks so much.
1: Bye. So, just so you guys are, aware, did you know that Nintendo did announce back in March that they're going they make their games mobile?
2: Yeah, I did see that. They're actually working through DNA, yeah, uh, which has done a lot of stuff um, for you know Wizards of the Coast for their D- their Dungeons and Dragons games. Uh, they also have like a, a Transformer Battle Tactics game out right now, yeah. so they're going to do a lot of stuff. It's going to be a while. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they come out with, to be honest. That's such a
1: smart decision it is. finally because they always said they wouldn't do it, but yeah. I think it's
2: smart. Well, this is the thing uh that I've kind of found, you know, and th- again, this is just a personal opinion about Nintendo. Nintendo is always behind the eight ball.
1: Yes, they are. <laughs> um
2: because they uh, this is the thing, is they originally commissioned for a game uh platform to be created because they were going to, you know, they still had uh, the N64, and they were, they wanted their next game platform. So they actually hired Sony out to build this. And what Sony came back with was this device that ran CDs. And they had a Zelda game, which looked really cartoony, and they're like, yeah, no, that's not our thing. And so they, you know, they blew it off. Well, Sony turned around and turned that into the PlayStation. Yep. Um. And the funny thing is, we have a cartoony link game. Yes, we do. Now, so it's like, what the heck? Um, so I'm not surprised, but in this way, they're kind of. Uh, it seems like they're trying to jump ahead of the curve because there isn't any other game companies out there that really have, uh, like you know, we don't have Xbox or PlayStation that have their games on a mobile device. A mobile device yeah. Really, however, you do have the game companies. You know, like we do have you know Halo on their, you know, Bungie themselves has gone out and done that, or or Square Enix, or Assassin's Creed. Um, So, I mean, we'll have to see. But I'm excited because there's a lot of games I do enjoy um, that are those older games. I mean, I would love to play Paperboy. Or what about Mario Kart? Once I hit hit your smartphone, tell me you're not going to grab it. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, Excite Bike. I love that game. You know the whole fact I could create my own course. If I could do that on my my iPad or my iPhone, I'd be playing that game all the time. Oh no doubt. You know, and especially Mario Kart. Yeah, it's like okay, let's Bluetooth guys, let's go.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we're so. all gone. Yep.
2: All right, so uh, you know, we're gonna wrap up the last portion of the show. We were we're gonna bump it a little bit more because we got geek news, and I know Jessica has been dying to talk geek. Right?
1: Or or right.
2: Jessica, you still there? Yes. Hold on, I think I hit a button.
1: Oh, did you really, Jessica? Hello? You're...
2: Okay. Oh, yeah. So, did you hear yeah. what you're saying? Okay, yes, I'm very okay. excited. Yeah. So, I don't know what happened there. Um, when I disconnected him, I don't know if it muted you or what. So, anyways, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're gonna take a few minutes to talk some geek stuff because we're still here. It's still going on. I don't want to wrap up yet because we're 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 still talking. So. That's right. Um, so what are we gonna talk about? What geek stuff do you guys want to talk about? Because the the forum is open. Let's talk about geek stuff. It's it's kind of been a while. We've kind of hit on a little a few things here and well, there.
1: I was excited this week for the announcement of Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Did you
2: see the image of him? Uh no. So he's,
1: so he is just like what you always pictured him looking okay. like. Okay.
2: So he's got the jacket. Now he's gonna be in the he, he's gonna be in the next X Men movie. Jesus Apocalypse. Yeah. Yep,
1: and it's uh.
2: Toby Smith McPhee.
1: Okay. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was in uh, Planet of the Apes. He was a young boy in Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. And he is also in Paranormal. He was one of the voices of Paranormal. So he hasn't done a lot of stuff um, that was big, but I think he fits Nightcrawler very well. So it will be exciting to see what he does there.
2: Exciting. Okay, good news. That's good news. I want to see this. Um, Where did you see it? If you actually post it to our Facebook page, yeah, I'll people can take it.
1: it. Yeah. If you go to, um, post it to the Facebook page. If you go to IMDb and just look at Apocalypse uh, okay. X Men Apocalypse right now, that's the main picture on that.
2: Well, th- this is the, the really interesting thing that they're doing. So, X Men, the cartoon, is really popular in the late 80s, early 90s. Correct. Everyone remembers that. X Men Apocalypse is actually set in the late 80s. So they're keeping to the timeline they've built because, you know, Xavier's got to be an older guy. Yeah. And, you know, in X-Men First Class, it was in the 60s, 70s, and so he was kind of a young guy. So it makes sense that we're going to be seeing the Apocalypse series in the the late 80s, early 90s, about the same time we saw that kind of play out in the cartoon series. So it's going to be really exciting to see how they they pull this off because they've kind of... They're kind of rewritten time in a way um, with what they've done with uh, Days of Future Past. Uh, you know, we've gotten rid of a, a really horrible X Men movie, It's and, and the time been, line's been rewritten, and I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, let alone we get to see Apocalypse for crying out loud. That's going to be cool. Yeah. It will be exciting. <laughs> now, something else I found
1: dealing with gaming news. Uh, Batman Arkham Knight has announced co-op in their game and announced that you are playable as Robin, Nightwing, or Catwoman.
2: Now, my question is, is co-op only online or co-op whether you're online or not? I'm
1: hoping both. I enjoy sitting down with my son and playing co-ops, couch games. I just love that, and that's one of my biggest disappointments in the newer games that everything's online.
2: No, I have to to admit the same thing. and I'm afraid it's probably going to be online only, just because the past Batman game, um, Arkham Origins, and the one just before that, Arkham it did Asylum. have it did have co-op, but only online. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and that's one thing that really frustrated me. You know, even like with the new Transformer games, with uh, War for Cybertron and Fall for Cybertron, they're like, oh, you, you got co-op. You can create your own. Uh, Decepticon or Autobot, and you guys can can battle out against each other. I'm like, that's awesome. And then it's like, online. you know, I go to plug it in you know, to play with my kids. It's like online only.
1: It's like, what? You know, it, I, I'm so in a couch co-op. I've actually bought a second, second console that I've hooked up to a second TV next to my main TV. And I will log in with both consoles into the same game, which normally I have to buy two of and then i can sit down and play with my wife or play with my my son and it's really sad that i enjoy co-op that much and i'm willing to do this but i shouldn't have to it's just no. automatically No well built and me.
2: that's again you know going back to nintendo i think that's where their their genius lies in their games is you don't need to have another system you can sit down and play with several people um and i really wish the the other game uh console developers would do oh, that. Or even on. the game designers is like well, I want to play games with my buddies. You know, that's the one thing I really you know, I wasn't a huge Halo fan, but that is the one thing I loved about that game is I could sit in a room with a you know, with my buddies and play four you know, four of us could play co op. Yeah. You know, we didn't have to have other systems. Um and that's gone away. I mean, you can't really can't do that anymore, which I really don't like. So anyways. So we got any hey, other The
1: Star Wars though is a couch co-op split screen,
2: it's Battlefront. But well, Battlefront's always been that yeah, way. Yeah, uh, and the, I was
1: worried that they wouldn't yeah. do it because of all those options. Yeah,
2: so. I, I would be worried as well. Uh, and honestly, that would really ma- make me think of not getting that. But um, yeah. Anyways, I mean, one thing one thing I want to talk about that kind of hit uh, over this last week, the Images of Jared Leto's Joker. Oh, yeah. So yeah. what are your guys' thoughts on on the Joker?
1: I
4: I love it and I hate it. <laughs> it, it, it I feel the it's same. creepy. I, I, yeah. yeah. It's it's creepy, it's uncomfortable but it just I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't have the vibe that I guess you think of yeah. when you you hear know what I mean? I yeah. it is creepy. It is creepy for what it is in general, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel, something doesn't
2: feel right, you know? Well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, he looks like the Joker. I'll give him that. He does. The metal grilled teeth.
1: Well, when Batman breaks your like teeth in, that's going to happen. Like he's
2: a rapper. <laughs> it's kind of weird. That may, I mean, it does make sense. He's probably been beat up so much that he needs fake teeth. The tattoos are really what throws me. Yeah,
1: off. yeah, me too. Um
2: But again, if he's a serial criminal that's been in and out of prison, it makes sense that he has tattoos. Um, right. Now, you know what? Now the biggest question I have is: Will he be shirt? You know, topless? I doubt
1: it. There's no way. Yeah,
2: because <laughs> At times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if he's wearing a question the right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he's wearing you know, the traditional purpled colored type suit. The tattoos really don't matter. No, it doesn't you know, you'll, you'll catch, across his forehead. I mean, yeah, I mean <laughs> you'll catch a glimpse here and there, but the rest of it does uh, doesn't matter. So uh, Well for
4: me I think the vibe that I get from it is I kinda get ghetto and gangster from it. And I yeah. in my mind the Joker is as crazy as he is, so much more sophisticated than that.
1: Well he, yeah, he is a magical. I think that's
4: my problem with it.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but see like what I I've enjoyed a lot of different jokers out there. I, I really enjoyed the anime joker that yeah. Mark Hamill did. But one of my second favorite jokers was um from The Batman where the joker was barefooted, he had oh, yeah. dreadlocks. And yeah. He was just insane, like yeah. the, beyond crazy. Well
2: you know, and I know there you know, and this is one point that someone else has brought up and we've talked I've talked about off air is you know, everyone was upset about Heath Ledger and his version of the Joker. I yeah, mean, everyone I was really <laughs> was angry about it. And You know, that's not the Joker, blah, blah, blah. But everyone loved it, the portrayal.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: and who knows? May, maybe the image is just doctored up. and it it, could the, be. They'll throw us a curveball, or maybe it's not, and maybe we'll end up liking the Joker. We really don't know. Um, it's just until hard. We actually because, see, I mean, it is.
4: It's such a high bar. It's such a high bar with Heath Ledger. Although, you have to say that it was a really high bar with Jack Nicholson, too. So, I mean, you know, and that's kind of what people got in their minds. They got in their minds the Jack Nicholson, you know, and when it was Heath Ledger, everybody's like, no, this pretty boy, he just can't do it. Well, now they found an even prettier boy.
0: Yeah, very. And they're
4: showing him in. You know what I mean? And so, you never know. It is a high bar, though. It really is. Heath Ledger's performance was... Beyond outstanding, but again, he's an Academy... Jared Leto is an Academy Award-winning actor, so you never know, you know? I hope for the best. It is a little uncomfortable. The image is uncomfortable.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and and I think whenever we hear someone new, we always question. I mean, there was even question when we heard that Jack Nicholson was going to be, you know, the Joker. Did an amazing job. He looked like the Joker. Um, You know, and we've always been... Uh, you know, the Joker's iconic. But I, I'll just put it that way. He's uh, gotta be if,
1: one of the best bad guys out there, if ask
2: Even if you look at the Joker from the you know the old Batman series, uh, he even he looks weird. I mean, he looks normal, but Cesar Romero refused to shave off his <laughs> mustache, dash. so they painted it white. <laughs> so even he looks strange. Um,
4: yeah. But, but you were Jared able to see Leto, in shining and you were able yeah. to see how crazy he could be. Yeah. You know, we just have we didn't have that opportunity with Heath Ledger or with Jared Leto.
2: You're right. Ultimately, I, in my opinion, I this is just me, because I've seen all these uh these versions of the Joker. My all I, I think again, personal opinion, the all time best Joker still is Mark Hamill. I agree. You know, well, the, I mean, and even Jim is the trickster. Oh my gosh! Oh, oh my god! Yeah, I watching him as the trickster on on <laughs> the Flash. I'm like, he is so channeling yeah. the Joker right now, and you could hear it's the, the inflections and the way he's singing. He's like, he's just doing the Joker, but he can't. So he's it into the trickster, and he, granted, he was the trickster way back, uh, you know, in the original Flash series in the '90s. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that. You know, you saw pictures of him in the costume, and they brought him back as the trickster, and they gave it a new right. twist. Um, and the Flash series is just w- so great. I mean, they're really doing a beautiful job with it and oh, yeah. making it so much fun.
4: It's the Flash is my favorite. <laughs> it's my oh. favorite. Well, I mean, I like Daredevil, and I love Gotham. I, I love, Gotham is close though in the Flash, but. Gosh, the Flash is so good. It's
2: so funny, and it's just so refreshing. Well, see, I think why everyone's loving the Flash is the Flash. You know, the Flash embodies hope, plain and simple. And it's a very light uh, series. You know, and mm-hmm. the Flash is the only light series in DC. It really yeah. is. Everything else is kind of dark and and dirty and gritty. That's that's how it is with the Arrow, uh, and we see that. And I, yes. I really love the Arrow. But it's also Batman. Yeah, It, <laughs> I mean, is. it really is Batman right. with uh, yeah. green arrow thrown yeah. in the middle of with it. The I mean, Pope. we've got the whole Ra's al ghoul storyline going on, which never happened that I know of with the arrow. It's still really great. It's so amazing. Um, there's possible Easter eggs in there. I mean, there's rumors flying around that John Diggle is actually John Stewart, so we may see a Green Lantern this next season. There's rumors that there may be a tie-in um, because if I remember at WonderCon, there is very, very heavy suggestions that, you know, there's going to be a flashpoint happening. So um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that comic line, but there's a point where the flash goes back in time, saves his mom, and it all changes reality. You know, and we know that's leading up to
1: that point, to that point yeah.
2: in this series. And this could really, really create some some interesting things because I know there's there's hints that you know Tom Welling may come back as Clark Kent slash Superman next season, um, right. which could be a tie a good a cool tie in with Smallville, but still suggest why the Flash was different there and so was Green Arrow and stuff like that, um, which would be awesome if they pull that yeah, off. Yeah, it would. Uh, you know, so. Gotham, I'm struggling with Gotham. I, I, I'll be honest, I'm struggling with it. I'm, I'm not really loving it. I, you know, I was, I was really loving the development of some of the villains, like the Penguin. I really love their version of the Penguin. Oh yeah. I, I'm just not. I'm not. It's not tickling my fun, my geek funny bone, I guess.
1: Now what about that Joker? What- did you guys see the episode with the Joker when they revealed him? And... Yeah, been an I, I didn't like...
4: I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with, with the Red Hood and the Joker, but I was extremely oh, confused the with that. Because <laughs> I well, really... You know what I mean? Oh, like, I was okay. expecting him to tie the, be, the Red Hood, be the Joker. You know what I mean? Well, and the, so I was uh, I was a little confused. I kept waiting for that little boy to pick it up at the end, you know, the guy, that, the kid that's playing the yeah. Joker. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it
2: so I, I guess I d- I missed that episode. So the little boy that picked up the red hood at the end wasn't the joke. Isn't going to be the Joker. No, he
4: never the- picked it up. That's the thing. The red hood is someone completely different. It's who obviously it's a symbol. The red hood, whoever picks it up, is the red hood. And yeah. they went through you know two or three people with
2: well, the I ownership of the
4: red hood in the one episode. Yeah. And so we have the Joker and then we have the red hood kind of back to back episodes. There was like maybe one episode in between. And I kind of expected. Okay. The redhead
2: being afterwards that he would, you know, in the end of the episode okay. the kid would pick it up and. Well, the Red Hood was le- that that watched.
1: episode is the last one I watched. I think the next one introduced uh, the character that might have been the Joker. Okay. They were interviewing him in the police station and. Well, see,
2: right. I can he- understand why. And you they start realizing how into. crazy
1: he was. So, okay. I mean, they're talking about the death of his mother and okay. and him being raised by... Oh, that that one. Yeah, and We're, he got that yeah, crazy I'm, smile at the very end. And he's just,
2: okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I,
4: don't, just, I thought that, it was cool. I, I saw put. Robin's family in the circus as well, but I yeah. didn't like how the Joker was in the circus. It was just a little too obvious, well, I guess. I don't know.
2: It really depends on what version or storyline they're going with. I mean, yeah. really that is. Because there is one storyline where he was the Red Hood. There's another storyline where he has no connection with, this, with the Red Hood. Um, okay. And it could be that they're going with a different one because they don't want this Joker to be the same as the Joker in the movie. Because um, I do know they're right. trying to kind of... It's like the, D, the TV world it. of DC, the movie DC... uh, World of DC is an alternate dimension Dimension. Uh, which makes sense I mean it's a great way to be able to keep those separate so that there's not continuity issues Um, like Marvel Marvel eventually is going to run into that you know with running their TV series and their movies together Um, so I but you know maybe Marvel will find the magic and that won't be a problem I don't know so right, right, any other any other items
1: so uh with uh, a little more gaming news, uh, they released a date for the new uh, Mighty Number no. 9. You guys familiar with this game? I'm not. Mighty Number no. 9 I'm is a new version of Mega Man. Were you Mega Man fans? Yes. So the guy that created Mega Man left Capcom, and Capcom kept the rights to Mega Man. So he started his own game. That's going to come out. I'm trying to recall what my notes said. But it's coming out in... Uh, september and it's being called mighty number no. nine and if you watch anything on it, it is mega man to the t oh really and it's just perfect for that itch i've been having and i can finally get it scratched and get a little more mega man playing on
2: hmm. so um so let's go let's talk a little bit about daredevil uh i'm up for this so This series has been great. Did you finish it? I have not. I'm still watching it. But it's true to the character. Yes. Um, They've taken some liberties with Wilson Fisk, but liberties I'm not against. I mean, really good. It makes sense. And it's such a well-written show. It is. I mean, it really is. When you look at Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then you look at, marvel's daredevil it's like wow they actually got good writers yeah probably. and this is not a network you know television station it it just right. makes it baffles the mind that netflix was able to be able to pull this together with some really fantastic writing and acting i mean you you can't say anything against anyone they have casted for any of these parts no
4: and i have my doubts honestly the very first episode, I was like, I don't know, I don't believe, I don't believe this, I don't believe this, you know. And then the end of the episode, I was like, just kidding, he did a great job, <laughs> did really good. I mean, I had definitely my doubts about Daredevil. And then Fitz, I mean, from the second he came on screen, I was like, he's creepy, he's super. Why is he creeping me out? He's actually from a movie called The Cell. Which was a hmm. movie that I absolutely loved it is horrific and creepy. Isn't
2: that with uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez? Jennifer
4: Lopez, yeah. yeah. And he's a, he's the serial killer who oh, okay. is schizophrenic, and um, he murders women in just a horrible, horrible way. And you know, and just I won't even get into it, but it's it's crazy, insane. It's a mind trip. And so we started watching it. He's put on a lot of weight since then, and he's a lot bigger than he was. He was quite quite scrawny in, in the cell. But I just got that feeling, and I turned over, and it was like, he makes me feel the way that guy in the cell did. Like, he just creeps me out. And then I ended up looking it up on IMDb, and it was him. And he looks completely different, and he plays the part strangely. He's very awkward, and but it works because every time he's on screen, even if he's saying something sweet to the woman he loves,
1: it's creepy. Wow, it's uncomfortable. So it's, and so he doesn't remind you of Edgar. An Edgar suit, in an Edgar Edgar yeah. suit. Yeah,
0: that's I, the that, same guy. It <laughs> is
2: the same guy again. Yeah. Uh, we kind of had that conversation <laughs> the, the week you were gone. I'm like, that's whenever I saw that that actor. That's all I could ever see him as. No, that's not a so,
4: Yeah. <laughs> no, even when it. He was in, I think he was Law & Order or something, and even when I would yeah. watch him on Law & Order, I, I love Law & Order, like special yeah. special victim videos. So this is a different one. And I started watching it because I love those kind of shows, and the second he was a regular on the show, and the second he came on, I was like, nope, <laughs> not doing this. He's creepy, even yeah. as a cop. So, yeah, I, I mean, that picked a really good job i was weirded out by the way he played it because it was so uncomfortable and i felt like how could any woman love this man yeah. he's so weird and creepy but she does and she's attracted to power it's very obvious yeah and um yeah he he every time he's on screen you're kind of on guard that first freak out he had where he started slamming that guy's head in the car it was like okay
2: <laughs>
4: he's crazy <laughs> That's really where I was sold
2: it. on the character. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did like the
1: comment he said to Is it Vanessa, his girlfriend? Yeah. That where he, she was talking about the guy she dated that had this power, but he always wore a a white jacket and an ascot. Yep. Yeah. And I, and, like, and I would, that, would never. Yeah. Do well, that.
2: And that's what the kingpin wears. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. So. Well, um, with that, I mean we're we're gonna we're, we're gonna wrap this up, yeah they're uh, cleaning up all the tables they are cleaning so. up and you know we need to we'll talk some more geek news next week, so uh tune in next week. we will have uh more craziness and amazingness as always, and yeah, uh
1: super network uh, yeah start
2: check out super network dot com tomorrow morning uh six a m mountain center time uh, they will start broadcasting uh all weekend that you're gonna hear uh, old episodes of our show. And then you will start hearing us uh, broadcasting live next week. So it will be lots of fun and excitement. And uh, with that said, uh, we'll catch you next week. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody.
4: All right. See you, guys.